All right, turn your Bibles to John chapter 20. We're going to keep uh, trucking through the Enneagram. So I was trying, you know, we, I said, which way we're going to go. We did one last week, but I could go back to do nine. I could move forward and do two. I wasn't sure. So I don't know, twos, twos and, and nines, you could be a little bit nervous. But, um, well, I'm not going to tell you which one we're going to do yet. We're just going to read this and see if you can figure it out. Let's, let's read this part. John chapter 20 and verse number one. Did you guys, did you get those other Bibles loaded up? Oh, you guys are awesome. Thanks. Uh, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. Now, I guess I should give you some backstory. You probably figured it out. But this is shortly, this is after the crucifixion and the morning of the resurrection. So this is the first Easter Sunday, right? So this is the end of John's gospel, and John is the last gospel. So this is wrapping up this story, and we're kind of coming to this climactic um, ending where they recognize that the body is missing, right? So, but, so that's the story. That's the that's you know, the narrative, but I want to kind of look at the context. We're not going to be talking about that specifically this morning. I want you to kind of see the details of the story, but just so you know what's going on, early on the first day of the week, so the first Sunday, uh, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So the, Mary was going to the tomb and probably, probably uh, most likely some of the other ladies going to, probably to prepare the body for, you know, to put you know, they just, they had no embalming, so things would get pretty bad. And so a lot of times they would try to prepare the body with spices and incense and stuff. But she was going there to do that, and she, but she saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So that wasn't what she was ex- expecting. And so she came running to Simon Peter, and then the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. So there was these two disciples, Simon Peter, and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both are running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight in into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached, reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed." Now, what I find fascinating about this passage is this kind of cryptic reference to the other disciple, the, the disciple that Jesus loved. Who, who was the, the author talking about? Well, we know this is out of the Gospel of John. So, so anybody know who the, who the author of uh, St. John was? Gospel of John? Oh, yeah, okay, it was a trick question. I didn't know. <laughs> I figured someone would be like, oh, don't say John. No, it was John. It was John. Uh, yeah, so, so John's writing this story, but he's t- so he's telling us here that on this morning, um, Peter and this other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, took off running to the, to the tomb. And clearly this other disciple was also, you know, a sprinter because he gets there first, but he did not go in. And then the other, then Peter arrives a little bit later and he goes and he, and he sees this. So my question is, who is this mysterious disciple? Who's John talking about, right? Uh, and he must have been important because he's referred to as the disciple that Jesus loved, which that's kind of a, you know what I mean? Like I, I, thought, I thought Jesus loved all of the disciples. I thought Jesus loved everyone, but apparently there was this one disciple that Jesus really, really loved. And this is not this is not even or only the first time that this particular disciple is mentioned. Uh, in John chapter 13, it's referred to the same way. The other disciple, the, this, the one that Jesus loved. In John chapter 19, verse, in like 20, verse 26, the same reference, this other disciple, the disciple that Jesus loved. So there are these cryptic kind of references to this other disciple. Well, the question is, is which disciple was it? Now, I think we know that Jesus loved all the disciples. 
right? We knew that, know that Jesus was, well, he loved everyone. But we also know historically, and, and just as from the Bible, that Jesus did have a particularly close relationship with three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John. They were kind of his inner circle. And they, they would travel with Jesus at times when Jesus wouldn't um, allow the whole group to go, maybe because it was just too many people, and, or maybe it was because they, it was just a special event. In fact, one of these situations in Matthew chapter 17 um, this was at the transfiguration. So this is, this is the time when Jesus' divinity is revealed to the world. One of the pinnacle moments of Christ's life. It's like his baptism, his transfiguration, and the crucifixion, right? These were the three big events. And at, so in Matthew 17, at the transfiguration, it says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. So you see, it's one of these times where there was this kind of like this inner circle that was forming. Um, in Mark chapter 5, verse 37, Jesus is going to the home of the synagogue leader, a man named Jairus, and his daughter had, had died, and he was going to pray for her. And so um, it says in verse 37, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then on the night of Jesus' betrayal, Jesus was going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and begin to pray. And if you see in Mark chapter 14, it says, verse 33, he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. So there are these three disciples that Jesus seemed to be, you know, kind of part of the inner, inner circle. And the question is, which one of these is the disciple that Jesus loved? Well, first of all, we can rule out Peter right away because in the story, it was Peter and the disciple that Jesus loved. But there's another way we can rule it out. In John chapter 21, and this verse is interesting. Uh, for, I think you'll see why in a moment. In John 21, verse 20, it says, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved, so it's not Peter, so it's Peter turned and saw the disciple that Jesus loved, uh, was following them. This is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? So this disciple that Jesus loved at the Last Supper looked at, looked at Jesus and said, which one of us is going to betray you? Jesus had predicted that one of his own disciples would betray him. And so this one, his, his BFF, the, the one that was the closest with Jesus, said, well, who, which one of us is going to do that? And then in verse 21, I love this verse. It, uh, it says, when Peter saw him, he asked, well, Lord, what about him? So Peter thinks maybe it's the disciple Jesus loves. Like Peter might have been a one. He was pointing out everyone's flaws. He's like, I know you think this guy is your favorite Jesus, but this guy's got a problem. So we can rule out Peter because in this situation, Peter is actually asking Jesus about the disciple that he loved. But in verse 22, he gives us some more insight. So the next verse in John 21, verse 22, Jesus says, or Jesus answered, if I want him, the one that I love, to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. So Jesus gives us a clue here. He's, Jesus has given us this, uh, well, he says basically his BFF, the one he loved, would live a long life. He says, well, I want this, if I want this one to, to, to live until I return and ha or live to a long old age, what is that to you, Peter? So there's one clue. We know that whoever this is, James or John, would be a disciple who lived a long time. So this gives us some way that we can kind of solve this puzzle. First of all, Acts chapter 12 tells us that James was the first of all of the disciples to be martyred. In fact, of all the disciples who weren't martyred, the only one left was John. John lived to approximately AD 90, lived to a ripe old age. In fact, even in John's letters and the other letters he writes, he refers to, the, the, in his epistles, he refers to those who receive his letters. He says, dear children. He's an, you could hear him. He's an old man at this, at this stage. So this is an interesting question. John is writing the book, and he's referring to himself in this cryptic language. And, and, and he says, the disciple that Jesus loved. But why didn't John ever tell us it was him? 
And I think the reason why is because John is most likely a nine on the Enneagram. So how many of you guys relate a lot to the nines? Do anyone test high or have a lot of the nine, the peacemaker in you? It was, a very, it was a very popular one. It seemed like there was a lot of people that, had, that really connected with this. And, and so I want to talk a little bit about the peacemakers, the nines, and, um, and just a little bit of a review. Did I, did I give you the graphic that just gave the basic info about the nines? If I did, put it up, but if not, yeah. Um, the, the nines are called the peacemakers. The, the peacemakers are the, the, the ones we love, the people you love to be around. They're very easygoing. They're laid back. They're chill. They're, very, they're not demanding people. Like, whatever you want is cool. They kind of live their life uh, with a very kind of just keep it copacetic. You know, the peacemaker's desire for life is just to go stress-free. And they, they tend to avoid conflict. And I think that's why a lot of people kind of... A, you know, find an affinity with the nine on the Enneagram is because of this sense of conflict avoidance. We'll talk more about that in, um, in a while. But, but nines are motivated by this desire to create or to maintain peace, right? And also nines are, have a tendency to merge, what psychologists call merging. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And they'll do that in order to avoid what they perceive as conflict or confrontations. Overall, nines just don't want to be bothered by life. Like, nines are the type of people that they, things just stress them out, buying a new car, buying a new house, choosing a career, what college am I going to go to? Those types of things are overwhelming for nines, and they're like, you know what, I'm just going to sit here and watch TV. I'm just, just going to go to college. And, and that's really, that's why the, the, the prime addiction or, the, or the, the central sin of the nine is sloth. Nines have a tendency just to do nothing. They just kind of let their life waste away, and before, the, before you, a nine knows it, years have gone, and they never even have really truly discovered who they were. I think John was most likely a nine. So let's talk a little bit about nines uh, this morning. First, first of all, I'll talk about some of the strengths because, man, I am so thankful that we have nines at Dialogue because nines, well, we have enough problems as there is. We need some people that just make things better, you know, that no matter what, I love it on these Sundays like today when I come in and I'm just frustrated, I'm stressed, and we have a bunch of nines, it's like, it's going to be okay. Everything will be all right. It's just everything will be wonderful. You know what I mean? Like, I just, sometimes you need those voices. And that's why we all love having nines in our lives. You may not know this, but you seek out people, all of us do, who are going to be there and be warm and affirming and not just, you can go to them with your problems and a nine, nines never listen to you about half of what you say and say, well, that was stupid. Here's what you should have done. You know, nines will do that. They just listen, and they let you vent, and man, nines are so wonderful to be around. And I think that's one of the greatest strengths. If, you, if you're a nine, one of the greatest strengths um, that you bring is that you're just so easy to be around. You make room for other people to be. Your presence doesn't, you don't have to dominate the room. You don't have to, see, when you come in, you allow other people in the room to still be there and be who they are, and they're just so easy to be around. Like, whatever you want to do, they want to do. That's what a nine, that's what a great about a nine. Wherever you want to go eat, they want to go eat. They're just easygoing. They're very chill. The nine's kind of motto for life is, is like, go along to get along. That's how they live their life. Whatever you want to do, that, they're cool with that too. And that's one of the wonderful things about a nine is they're so easy to be around. And uh, because also, another thing about a nines is they have an amazing ability to put things into perspective. One of the reasons is, is because nines are very even-tempered. Um, nines work hard to not get upset by what they perceive to be the stresses of life. They don't respond to things, stresses very well. They, they don't want to engage with it. They don't want to tackle it. So because of that, like, they're working all the time to kind of keep their, their emotional motor just kind of barely, you know, idling along. 
right? That's what a nine's doing. Like, just don't get me, they don't want to get riled up. And so because of it, they're very even-tempered. And so when you get one of those situations where things are falling apart, it's great to have a nine around because they're just like, it's cool. It's going to be okay. I know they're lying. I know they haven't even thought about it. They may be on the inside thinking this whole day is going to suck. You have to lead worship. I am leaving. But they're not going to say that. They're just like, it's okay. It's going to be, you're going to do great. You know? But we love to be around nines because they can help us put things into perspective. But one of the reasons why is because they've mastered the art of suppressing their own feelings. One of the things that nines do is they're calming and they're soothing and they're caring. And they arrive at that ability because they work so hard to repress their own feelings. Remember, nines are right in the middle of the anger triad. I don't think I gave you the, the graphic, but you guys have all have seen it. On the top of the Enneagrams are the eights, the nines, and the ones. So nines are at the pinnacle of the Enneagram. And the, that whole section, the eights, nines, and ones, that's the anger triad, and they're right in the middle of it. Now, this is hard for a nine, because you know we talked a little bit about eights. Eights externalize their anger. They're pissed at you all the time. Ones internalize their anger. They're mad at themselves. Nines just suppress their anger. And so they've got to work hard because they've got both fronts on either side of them they've got to contend with. They're, they're, they can never be mad at anyone in the world, and they can never be mad at themselves. They can't push the world to do something and, come on, they can't do that because they just have to forget it, but they also can't push themselves. So they have to, they, they try to, what they call it is they, they say nines fall asleep to their own thoughts. But that gives them the ability then, because they're no, not so wrapped up in their own point of view, that they can see all points of view. And that's why they put nines at the top of the Enneagram. If you, when you see the schematic in the drawing, nines sit at the top because they have a view of all the numbers. In fact, a lot of the resources I've read say that nines, the, nines can, have, like the, can be as driven as a one or as introverted as a four or as, you know, as loyal as a six. They, they often say the only number that a nine is not like is a nine. Because as a nine, you take on the... The, the, the thoughts and the persona of the people around you or the people that you esteem yourself to be. So because of they have this ability to sit up at the top of the Enneagram and they can really see all sides, one of the things that's great for nine is nines make great mediators. If you're having conflict and you don't know what to do or you're trying to make a decision in life and you're like, I don't know if I should do this or do that, go to a nine because a nine will talk with you and they'll give you truthful, right advice even if it's not in their own best interest. You know, a lot of times that's hard for people to do is to give you advice that might, you know, be against their own, per, your own personal best interest. Like if you have a best friend, like you may not want them to move away. But a nine, they'll just be like, man, that sounds like a great opportunity. You should take that. And so they're, they're, they put things into perspective. It's one of the great, uh, I guess, strengths of being a nine. Another thing is they're naturally unselfish and flexible because nines want everyone around them to be happy. Now, you, there are other numbers that want to do that. I one you know, like twos are very... They're the helper. They want everyone to be taken care of and happy. But, but nines are a little different. They want everyone around them to be happy because they just don't want to deal with your crap. They don't want to deal with any crap. They just want, they're just like, they're trying to protect that, that just uh, their inner zen, you know, and they just want it. So nines are very easy to go be around because they just, they don't, they don't care enough about anything to have to put up with whatever it is that you're going to, you know, be mad about. And um, so because of that, though, nines make great team players. At, at dialogue, it's awesome when we have nines on the team because nines will just, whatever needs to be done, that's what they'll do. And if, what are we going to do? Are we going to do an outreach? Okay, what, laundry? 
We got to go walk around and hang coffee cups on people's doors. We got to clean out gutters. What are we going to do? Like, they don't, just, that's what a nine is: is that they just are great team players. Nines care about your ideas, and nines care about your story. They care about your contribution to the team. They want you to be the one to shine. So nines are naturally unselfish and flexible. But like all the Enneagram numbers, their greatest strengths can become their greatest weaknesses. And so I want to talk a little bit about if you're a nine or if you have a high nine. Um, about some of the things that, that you might be tempted at times to do that can lead you to, uh, to unhealth. So the first thing is, is what um, psychologists call as self-forgetting or merging. And those are kind of technical terms. So, um, but what it means specifically is that self-forgetting, nines generally feel unimportant. Kind of the driving, kind of the core, the motivation of a nine is they've never, whatever reason, something in as a child, not that their parenting was bad because there's no perfect parents, but, but somewhere along the line, nines picked up this wounding message that their ideas, their viewpoints, their contributions really don't matter. And so they learned the best way to keep the peace is just not to have any. And so what happens is it's self-forgetting. Nines forget their own feelings, perspectives, thoughts, opinions. In fact, if you ask a nine, they probably don't have any. Or most likely, what the next thing is, the merging, um, they, might, they might think that they've got ideas or thoughts, opinions, or feelings, but what the, most nines don't realize is that, they're, that the feelings and thoughts, ideas, opinions that they do have aren't theirs. They're actually yours. They have merged their identity with your identity. And they've never come to the place where they've taken on. They've done the hard work of establishing their own and, and for, many, for often, for most of your life, that can work great until something happens in life that, that the facade is broken and you realize you don't even know who you are. And it's like I, if you talk to a nine who's not in that place, they won't even know this is happening. They just think this is what I like. This is what I want. It's just not what they liked. It's what the people that they merged with liked. See, something along the line gave, these, gave nines this idea that they're not special enough to matter. Their ideas don't matter. Their opinions don't matter. They don't matter. And so they just don't have any. They just don't have any opinions. They just don't have any of their own ideas. And so, and so when we say that nines are self-forgetting, that's what we mean, that nines forget their own responsibility to be their own person. They forget their opinions and preferences and priorities. And underneath it all is this fear that if they state their own identity, it, will, it could potentially cause conflict. Now, this is one of the things with the Enneagram that I've noticed as we're going through this. It's been difficult to suss out because how many of you guys really don't like conflict? If you're the type of person who's like, I try to avoid conflict. Okay, lots of people. And because that's such a key thing in the nine's identity, it's, it's easy for everyone to be like, well, I must be a nine. But here, I want to say specifically um, why nines avoid conflict. Because I think it's, no, no one really loves conflict, first of all. Some people are maybe challenged by it, inspired by it a little bit, rise to the occasion. But a nine avoids conflict because they just don't want to make that decision. They don't even have to have their own opinion. Like if you're an opinionated, like if you've got an opinion on this issue, it's just you don't want to have that fight with the person because you don't want to let them down, you don't want to deal with... Like, it, it might not be that you're a nine. It might be that you're a two, or it might, you'd be, you could avoid confrontations. Like, twos, are, twos avoid confrontation with people because it's relational. They don't want to have the stress in their relationship. Nines just don't want to have the stress. They just want... Like, they, they, don't, they don't care if we go to the wrong place to eat. They just don't want to have to decide where to eat. Does that make sense? And so because of this, 
they have this fear that if they let this other person um, make the choice, then for them, they can just kind of lean back and and, and relax. So they resist having to make their own decision. That's kind of what is underneath the drive for the nine. And so this this is where the psychological term emerging comes in. Nines will then take on the opinions, take on the, the ideas of the people that are around them, and they'll even begin to mistake them for their own. And if you know a nine, that's quite possible. This is one of the hardest things for a nine to hear. In fact, again, nines to some of the other ones are some of the numbers that the Enneagram is so hard to hear because, well, you're used to being a good person. You're such a likable, wonderful person, the person that everyone wants to be around. But here's the the truth is that you probably have taken on thoughts and opinions and ideas and owned them as your own, but they're not really yours. And you, don't even, you can't even see that until you do the hard work of uncovering what's really down beneath that fear that maybe you don't matter. Unhealthy nines, um, when they get unhealthy enough, will even f- put their focus on keeping other people happy just to maintain their own peace of mind. So if, if there's something that they're stressed about in a relationship, you know, if you're in a relationship with a nine and they are frustrated about something, they might just stuff that frustration because they just want to avoid even feeling it, right? So nines repress all those emotions deep down inside, that anger and frustration, and it just kind of gets pushed down inside. And they will just, a nine will try to keep everything happy just to maintain the sense of peace of mind. Um, But the problem is, is that that only works for so long. And sometimes over enough years, things get to be so bad. You've, you know, you've, you've faked it for so long that when you finally wake up and realize I've been faking it, you're so far apart from where you need to be. And so that's one of the dangers of being a nine is this tendency of merging with others. A lot of times nines are willing to stand up for other people but would never stand up for themselves. It's a good indicator that you're a nine. It's a good indicator that maybe you think you're not worthy of having somebody fight for you. So that's one of the problems. Here's another thing with nines. Um, nines tend to be very ambivalent decision makers. Um, they, in, they say that the nines have the least amount of energy and stamina of any number on the Enneagram. And the reason for that is because, remember, in the middle of that anger triad, they're working hard to um, push down their frustrations they feel with the others, the external frustration of the eights. They're also working hard to, to push down all the inner turmoil that from the ones on the, the influence on the ones. And so they're working so hard all the time to, to, to maintain this, this sense of, you know, of peace and their zen that um, they're just tapped all the time. It just takes a lot of energy and effort to maintain that even killed uh, uh, kind of all the time. So uh, one thing about nines is it takes a lot of, lot of, takes a lot to get a nine going takes a lot to get them riled up. might take a lot to get them to actually start on a project's project. take a lot of energy. Um, and then it takes a, it's almost impossible for them to keep it going. They tend not to finish things. They tend to, like, they tend to have a lot of projects they've started and not a lot that they've, they've finished because somewhere along that project, they ran into an obstacle. And a nine would rather just start a new project than have to face the obstacle, right? And so, that's one. so because of this, uh, they tend to be, they're not the greatest decision makers. They waffle a lot. <laughs> And they're kind of ambivalent. And they don't know. And also because their, abil- their ability to see all sides of pers- and all perspectives. So it's just not that simple for a nine. Like they can understand this and they can understand this. And they're just, they go back and forth because, well, I, maybe this person's right or maybe this person's, person's right. And they don't even really know why. And so because of this, a lot of times nines put off making decisions because the stress is just too much. And, and the truth is, is they don't even really know what they want. Like 
And then if they did ever make a decision, they worry about how the people that they love would respond to the decision that they made. And so there's all of this anguish and anxiety in there. Like if you ask a nine what, are they want, what they want for dinner, you know what they're going to say? I don't know. Whatever you want. What do you want? It's just infuriating. Because you ask, no, I'm like, no, seriously, what do you want? I don't know. Whatever you want. And it's just, it just is, I don't know, if, it's just so infuriating because deep down inside, you know they care, right? They say they don't care, but they do care. They definitely care. And, you, and, and here's the thing. They won't tell you. They won't tell you because they don't even know. They don't, the only thing a nine knows is when you've decided wrong. And so finally you make the decision like, no, I'm not that. And it's so frustrating to deal with a nine because they don't know what they want. They just know that whatever it was that you came up with was wrong. And it's so annoying. Um, what did I say? What do you think I wrote that? What do, you, what do you think I put that in here? Um, I feel you. <laughs> yeah. So here's another thing. Nines tend to be passive-aggressive. <laughs> we just need to have an altar call right now. <laughs> we could just open up the altar. Yeah, uh, nines will not confront you to your face, but they will probably stab you in the back. Um, no, because, like I said, they're in the anger triad, so nines have just as much anger as the other numbers. It's just they refuse to actually admit that and feel it and, and own it, which is a, is a negative thing. And I know you would think that sounds good, but it's not good. Because anger is what motivates passion, which is what actually gets you up off the couch to do something, right? And so as nines who work so hard to never feel that, just kind of like, just, you know, kind of can float through a lot of life. And, um, but... It, it, this anger builds up. Anger builds up in a nine when people try to force them to make a decision, try to force them to choose. They get resentful, and they, they or someone takes advantage of their good nature because nines will just give and give and give and give and give, and they're just because they're just they don't want to cause any problems, but they're building up that resentful because there's you know you know the, you know the meter's running right when you're doing with a nine, you know like you're just skating on thin ice, and um, so they don't express their their anger openly. Like if you tick off a nine on Monday. You may not pay for it until Thursday, but you better buckle your seatbelt come Thursday. And um, so I, in a lot of the books I, that I've been reading, I have, none of, I have no knowledge of this from personal experience, but in the books I was reading, stubbornness is one of the key uh, ways that nines are, use their passive aggressiveness. They're just like, like once a nine says they're not going to do it, they're just not going to do it. And it's just because just they're trying now to not be angry. They don't want to fight with you. They're just trying to piss you off because you made them mad. And so stubbornness, um, a, a lot of nines will just intentionally make you late. They'll drag their feet when they know you're trying to hurry. Uh, they'll give you the silent treatment. They'll procrastinate. There's just, they'll find some way to get back at like, oh my, I just totally forgot to do that. Yeah, you asked me to do that? Oh, I just forgot. And really, it's because they're mad at you. They've been mad at you for like a week, and so now they forgot to whatever it is. So, but so nines tend to be passive-aggressive. They, they, and it's, it's hurtful, and it's harmful in a relationship, and, but it stems from this fear of letting their own emotion, their own anger really come to the surface. Um, okay, so another thing with, with nines. I don't want to try to beat them up too bad. How much time do we have? I can hurt them a little more. Okay. Um, <laughs> this, is one of, this is a big one on, on nines. Um, okay, so nines often consider themselves, if you ask a nine about themselves, they'll probably consider themselves a pretty good person, which is really weird because um, really much of their personality is formed by this feeling of not mattering, but they've repressed, repressed that. So by repressing these negative emotions, they just think themselves as a, usually a pretty good uh, person. And also because they work so hard to always not ruffle your feathers. 
right? They're just, they also, they take it, like, whatever, that's the way you're going to be. They'll just, and so they, they kind of have a, not a, it's not a high opinion or a negatively high opinion. It's not like they're arrogant, but they usually have a pretty good opinion of themselves. But, mo, but their good opinion of themselves, here's the point, is because they don't really feel like they've ever done anything too wrong. But that's mostly because, in a lot of nines, this isn't universal, healthy nines don't deal with it, but unhealthy nines don't feel like they've ever done anything wrong, mostly because they've just never done anything. One of the biggest sins of a nine, remember, it's the sin of sloth. And it's the sins, because nines don't like to take a stand, nines don't like you to put them in a tough situation where they've got to make a tough choice. And so because of this, nines miss out on what God has for them because they miss the big moments of life. They let those moments go by. And there's a moment, I promise you, there's going to be many moments in your life where God's going to call your number and that this is your time. And you may have to take a stand, and it may cause you to, to step out a little bit, and you're going to have to have, take an act of faith. But for a nine, it's so hard, not because they do the wrong thing, it's because they don't do anything. See, for a nine, it's not the sins of commission, it's the sins of omission, right? They're just, this is the sins that they don't do. And we see this in John's life. Remember what it said? Like, I just, I, this is why I thought of John when I, when I was studying the nine, because this has always been so tragic for me. In John, again, chapter 20, verse number 3, So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple, so John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. And I, I remember reading that as a teenager. I was like, why didn't he go in? I mean, like, this was his moment. Like, I wonder how many times in life John looked back on this. Like, he lived... To, to be an old man, how many times did he look back at this? He's like, I could have been the one to see that the, the tomb was empty. I could have been the first one to recognize that our Lord was alive. Why didn't he take that moment? Why didn't he step into his destiny? But he let that moment slip by. See, in, in times of, uh, of stress... And according to the Enneagram, nines move to six is what the Enneagram is. So nines begin to take on the character and the nature of the, of the, or the negative side of six, which is the loyal skeptic. And so what happens, the nines tend to become overcommitted and prone to worry and be very wary of others, skeptical of others. Um, and then this anxious inner state begins to disrupt their inner peace of mind that they're, they're striving for, which leads them to become even more self-doubting and even more self-unassured because, uh, and it becomes this vicious cycle that can, and it often, be, often stems from the fact that nines, they don't step out and take life and just, and, and do it, you know, just, just to, to be the one to, to stand in the, in, the, in the gap when everyone else around you is falling down, but to stand. And to say, I'm, this is my moment. And that's what's so hard for nine. So let me give you quickly, since we're about out of time, let me give you quickly if you're nine, here are some things that you can do to, become, um, to overcome and to start moving towards health. Number one, pursue faith with action. So do something. Just do something. Even if you're not sure what to do. That's why nines avoid doing things, because you're never sure. You're never, I, oh, you know, I, no one's ever sure. Let me tell you, let, let you in on the rest of the secret. All the rest of us, we don't know either. You just, you just make a decision and you step out in faith. And so do something. Nine's lives are, like I said, littered with projects that are unfinished and things that they never start because they, they start something, run into an issue, and then they start something else. So do something. Let me give you a passage here, Luke chapter 12, verse 48 in the voice. Um, it says, Jesus is telling a, a parable, and he says, if you are given much, much will be required of you. If much is entrusted to you, much will be expected of you. 
The King James Version, I love it, says this. It says, says, to whom much is given, much is required. God has blessed you. He's given his son for you. He's gifted you. He's he's, uh, given you all sorts of abilities and talents and a family, and he's put you on this earth in this moment. Here's the truth. To whom much is given, much is now required. So how do you overcome? Yeah, it's good to have faith, but for you, your faith needs to be about action. Make your faith not about the prayers you pray or the podcast you listen to or how much you read your Bible. For If you're a nine, if you have nine tendencies, you need to say this. This is how I express my faith. I show up and we have an outreach. This is how I express my faith. I'm there. I, I make sure that I'm always there. I, I have this action. I'm serving the kids or I'm a volunteer, part of the worship team or whatever. James chapter 4, verse 17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Listen, if you're a nine, here's the... Here's the Here's the call for a nine. Wake up and say yes to the adventure of your life. That's how you grow. You need to realize that you matter. Your voice matters. Your presence matter. We need you. God has put you as part of this family. We need what you have always withheld because you're afraid that maybe it didn't matter. Or maybe you're always afraid to step out. Or maybe you thought that you didn't really have anything that you could offer. But what I want you to know is that we can't be the church that God has created us to be until you step up and put your voice into the conversation. Another thing you can do if you're nine to get healthy is own and declare your own feelings. This is so hard because, like I said, you may not know that you don't have your own feelings. You may not know that you've been merging um, with, with the people around you. Uh, so often nines kind of sometimes think that they do that already. If you ask them, like, oh, yeah, I share with my feelings. It's just that the feelings they feel are really not their own. And so um, learn to feel your anger. Learn to admit your anger. Remember, we talked about last week with the ones, uh, you know, just in your anger, do not sin. But anger itself is not sin. So learn to accept that. Feel your frustrations. And then learn some positive ways to voice that. Because when you repress it all the time, all your body has is negative ways to, get, to vent it out. And so it's always those, you know, it's, it's the, the little looks that you give and the tone in your voice and it's and you're gruff all the time because you have no other way to express it. And so you're just pouring that negative on the people around you all the time. So if you're at nine, own and declare your own feelings and learn to express them in positive ways and recognize that we... We want to hear that. We want to hear how you feel about things. Um, I was listening to a podcast recently. I think it was about, it was, it, was a, it was a three who was talking, and threes are very out of touch with their emotions. But I think um, for any of the numbers, not just threes, this would be helpful. There are online resources. There are websites that just have, um, that help you identify your emotion. Like I went to one and check it out. It was really, really cool. It's like it starts off with like just are you happy, are you sad, are you angry, are you mad? And then you click on that and then it's like, okay, are you anxious? Are you, you know, and so that helps you find the language because for someone, if you're not very fluent in your emotions, you really don't even know what you're feeling. And it's really helpful to go to something like that and it can say, yeah, that's what it is. I'm not just mad. I, I feel whatever. Does that make sense? So I, 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 I can post one on Facebook and let you find it. Um, okay, run out of time. Learn to recognize the difference between the presence of peace and the absence of conflict. Okay, I think this is a key for, key for nines. Um, true peace is when everything is how it is supposed to be. That's what peace actually is. In the Hebrew concept, we've talked about it before, so I don't have to go into it, but it's, it's the concept of shalom, right? Which means wholeness and completion. That's what it means to be for peace, is that everything is, is right. What nines do is they mistake shalom for no one's arguing right now. It's just like silence, right? And the, so the nines, they make the mistake of, of, 
of confusing the absence of conflict for the presence of peace. But sometimes, listen, there are some times where, there, where you've, conflict needs to be had so that things can move forward. Um, so inner peace, you, can't, you don't discover inner peace by ignoring issues that are unresolved. So when healthy, when, so if you're nine, this is where you can, you'll start seeing signs of health in your life, and here's how you can identify them. When they're coming healthy, nines take on the positive side of three. So if you remember, threes are the achiever. Um, they're the ones that are very goal-oriented, and they care about their image and their success. They want to they be success, and they're very decisive and self-confident. And when you start seeing those types of uh, feelings and um, aspirations and, and you know, behaviors in your life, you'll know that you're on the road to being healthy. So before we finish up, um, let me give you some insight on how to love of nine if you've got a nine in your life. Um, number one is acknowledge their feelings when they do share them because nines don't do it very often and they usually do it in very simple, guarded terms. Like It's not like they're going to just like gush about something like, yeah, that was a pretty good movie or whatever. Um, so so acknowledge when they, do, when they are sharing their emotions. Another thing that's good is if you're on a team with other nines, Ask them how they feel about something because they may not feel the confidence. So you might just say, listen, uh, you know, how do you feel about this? Tell me your thoughts. Be honest. Give me your thoughts about this. Should we do this or should we not do this? Um, here's another important thing. Ask them how they feel about something before you tell them how you feel. Because remember, nines have that tendency to merge with your thoughts. And so once you tell them how you feel, it's, it may be just natural for them to be like, yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Um, so they might just mirror, mirror your opinions. Another thing is reach out to nines. Nines are not often instigators of things, but they love to be included. And so if you know a nine, give them a call. And, you, know, if you might say, man, this person, they haven't called me in six weeks. But, um, and so you, but that's just the way it is with a nine. They're just not normally the ones that instigate things, but they love to be remembered and invited. So reach out to them. Another thing is uh, always affirm a nine when they do accomplish something because that's difficult. Because when you accomplish something, it's when then you can be judged, right? It's like you don't get your grade on term paper until you turn it in. And so sometimes it's not writing the term paper for the nine that's hard. It's turning them in because that's when they're going to put themselves in a position where they put themselves out there. And so um, when they do a, a, you know, affirm them for accomplishing something because nines have considerable skills, but they tend to sell themselves short. Nines typically undervalue their own skills and their abilities, and they, you ask them how good they are, and then you test them, and they always test way higher than they, they, they believe that they be. And then last with the nine is be gentle, um, because nines hate conflict so much that what feels like a minor tiff to you probably feels like the battle of the bulge to them. You know? So just be gentle when, you're, when you are having conflict. Um, don't try not to drag arguments on and on. I do that all the time. Yeah, arguing to me is kind of like, like an Olympic sport, you know? I just love it. I like watching it. and particularly, I'd watch other people argue. If you guys are ever arguing at home, call me up. I just love listening in for fun. Um, uh, another thing, if you are raising a nine, think about this. If, you've got, if you think maybe one of your kids are a nine, nine, nines are very, very uncomfortable around conflict, especially conflict between parents. So do everything you can do to be gentle when they're conflict, but don't avoid the conflict. Just be gentle when it does. So I know we're out of time. <clears throat> Anyone have any questions or thoughts about being nine? Yeah. Yeah, the absence of conflict with the presence of peace. See, nines are peacemakers, and what they're striving for is to maintain their akuna mentata type thing, right? They just want that sense where it's, everything is okay, it's, everything's copacetic. Um, but how they do that is by just trying not to stir the pot all the time. And that's, that's what is, like if you have, um, I don't know, kind of the, the caricature of a nine, this isn't really true, but like the the... 24-year-old son that never leaves home, still playing video games in the basement. 
that it's the type of thing. Like they're just trying to, they've got, you know they've got all kinds of skills. You know they could make it, but they're just, they just don't want to go out there and spread their wings. That's the sin of sloth. That's where, what, what, now, not all nines are like that. Some nines are very ambitious and have gone on because they're healthy. And when nines are healthy, they, they move beyond that. But anybody else thoughts? Any? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know. How many do you think? <laughs> we, could, we should do this. Was this your idea to have the. Yeah. I found, like, oh, you looked him up? Okay, give us one, too, since we did ones last night. <laughs> yeah, those bulbs suck. That's so good. Yeah, Nate, what do you got? Um, okay, well, let's, uh, let's wrap up with, um, with a prayer, and then you guys can come and receive communion and be on your way out. So let's, we'll just let this be our dismissal, and then you can come and, and uh, receive communion. So, Father, as we go on this journey uh, to see who we truly are, I pray, God, that you would guide us in that and so, that, so that we could come to the place of growth and not just the the place of pain and frustration. God, we're on this journey to, um, because we want to be better. We want to be all that we could be. And we recognize so often that it's been our own shortcomings and our own failures that has held us back. And so, Father, um, open our eyes today. If, if there's a nine, uh, a little bit of nine inside of us, open our eyes to our inner beauty and potential. Um, buttress us against the lies that we believe that have told us that we were worthless. Help us to, to step into the moments of life and to live life with reckless abandon, to give our all, to do everything that you've called us to do and to be everything you've called us to be, and may we not miss the greatest moments of our lives. And I ask you, Lord, today that you would be with us as we go and bring us back again next week safely, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's come and receive these elements of communion.